Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, January 24th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film News Writer Ryan Scott. Afternoon, everybody. How's it going? How was your weekend, Ryan? Um, It was good. Uh, I, I, I guess probably the people that follow me on Twitter know this, but the one like weird thing that I love that is very outside the rest of my interests is football. So I watched a whole lot of NFL playoffs this weekend, and uh, it was a it was a damn good weekend in that respect. So, yeah, there weren't really any big movies out this weekend, right? Not was, new um... ones. Uh, we did have the Lost, or I think it was called the Lost Daughter, or the the King's Daughter, which was a a. Uh, it may be, as well have been lost. Right. It was supposed to be released in 2015. Pierce Brosnan movie uh, now ranks as one of the worst openings ever for a wide release movie. Yeah, I think uh, probably the only thing worth mentioning box office wise is Spider-Man No Way Home is officially now the fourth highest movie domestically of all time. And what is it worldwide? It is now six worldwide. Uh, it, it passed uh, Jurassic World and the Lion King remake, which is just amazing and now the only the only thing so it's almost at 1.7 billion the only movies that have beat it at this point are movies that cross 2 billion worldwide starting with infinity war which is at the number five spot so whether or not it gets there i i think at this point you're starting to stretch but at this i mean at this point i wouldn't count it out so what about domestically because right now spider-man no way home at least as of a few days ago when this article was written so it's probably higher now was at 702 million uh i'm assuming it's probably like 710 or 715 at this point or something um number three on the domestic list is avatar with 760 do you think it's going to beat avatar domestically um that's where you start getting into like the, the again same thing with like does it get to <laughs> two billion is like you know, the only thing is, like, even still because Morbius moved, we don't have anything big coming out next week. Um, you know, I mean, the holds have been good. Uh, what does it need? Yeah, a little less than $40 million. Especially if yeah. Sony does, like, a re-release at some point. 
But then also what you have to look at with Avatar, and I've talked about this before, is there's no way we're not going to get a re-release of Avatar before Avatar 2 comes out. And if you look at what the Avatar re-release made in China last year, it, it, you know, it could make a lot. So, I, you know, I don't know. It could be some back and forth there. <laughs> but we don't think it's going to make Avengers Endgame domestic money. That's like 850 No, that that's million, where you get out not. of the realm. And then also when you look at, like, so that for people that don't know, the number one domestic grocer of all time is Star Wars The Force Awakens with $936 million. I, I don't think that record's ever getting touched. But yeah. I think um, the only way that this could touch that is if they re-released it with, like, extra scenes or something. <laughs> and I, maybe even then, I'm not even sure. Uh, yeah, Look, I think, like, at this point, you're just talking about, like, a whole lot of icing on a well-iced <laughs> cake. You know? I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's, it's yeah. a hell so, of a thing. Well, this past week, we've started to see some release date shift. Uh, Mission Impossible 7 and 8 have been delayed once again. Uh, they were scheduled to be released in September 2022 and July of 2023. And now the new dates are for Mission Impossible 7 is going to be released in July 14th, 2023. Uh, basically taking about almost the same date as what... <laughs> the eighth movie was going to be and mission impossible seven i mean mission impossible eight is going to take uh it was july 7th 2023 and now it's in june 28th 2024 so basically both of those movies have been pushed back a year and paramount is saying uh after careful uh thought it's in response to delays due to the ongoing ongoing pandemic and paramount also shifting release dates for a bunch of their movies but i think most notably a quiet place three was supposed to come out this uh, in march of 2023 and is pushed to september 22nd 2023 so pushed um what is that is that uh About i guess six that's six months, months? although I, I should yeah. note i think that's not actually a quiet place three that's the spinoff that the guy that directed pig is directing like it's not like a proper three it's more yeah of a yeah spin-off. yeah 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 it just has that uh placeholder title oh yeah now, no totally no I but guess. just in case audience members are like oh no no it's it's the spin-off they've been working on yeah and uh transformers rise of the beast <laughs> is pushed from from june 9th 2023 to july 19th 2024 so a whole year and some but change that movie got pushed two years in no time flat because that was supposed to be june of this year so like that is crazy uh, and that movie, uh, I think it's done, right? Or They finished filming. It, it, there's no reason it couldn't be released this year were it not for COVID. So why on earth it's not getting released next year is way beyond me. I mean, it could be like, you know, there is production delays due to the pandemic and, you know, visual effects. Like, that is definitely a thing. Yeah. You know, everybody's working from home. But Either that that's or a long time. Either that or if I'm uh, tinfoil hat here, maybe Paramount is very unhappy with what they've seen. We might be looking at reshoots, might be looking at, you know, because it feels like ever since Bumblebee came out, they have no idea what they want to do. So, eh. yeah, Paramount kind of lacks direction. It, like, I feel like out of all the studios right now, I can tell you what Disney is. Do you know what I mean? I can tell you. Like, I don't yeah. know, Paramount just like seems doesn't know what they're doing. And doesn't Paramount seem is very to... lost right now because they're sort of got one foot in both camps. And I think it would be tough to them to fully commit to streaming because I don't think they have the juice for it. And I also think it's tough for them to abandon streaming because I think they're losing some of their bigger franchise stuff. So, like, 
you know, man, I don't know. I think if there's any like major studio that might end up either like losing out in the streaming wars, they are starting to kind of hedge their bets, man. Yeah, I think at this point they need to like actually align with one of the other streaming services and, you know, have Paramount. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Paramount Plus is good. I mean, I'm watching Survivor on it. I'm watching uh, Australian Survivor. I think at this point what's more likely to happen is like everyone else is going to watch and see some blood in the water and wait for someone to fail and then like kind of go acquire kind of go acquire like sort of, you know, so I think I think right now if we're going to do like a power rankings, I think Paramount is kind of sort of lower. I think Sony's weirdly playing very smart baseball right now by not having a streaming service. And uh yeah. Yeah, I don't know, Paramount Paramount seems to be uh, seems to be maybe the most vulnerable, I think. I mean, does ever do everybody do, do all the studios really need a streaming service? I guess is is my question mm-hmm. because like Sony, I think could gain a lot of money just like selling Spider Man to Disney Plus for but that's the what they're foreseeable doing. future. That's exactly yeah. what they're doing, and they're making the most of the franchises they have. Um, they're cutting deals with streaming services. Like, the one thing I wish they hadn't done was sell Mitchells versus the Machines to Netflix, because I feel like that could have been a very theatrically viable movie. But, um, but yeah, no, Netflix, or Sony's playing smart ball by sort of being the now content provider to these streaming services that desperately need it. You know, like, because now there's no funnel. It's literally, they're left to their own devices. So, um, Sony's playing smart ball. I agree. I don't think Sony doesn't need it right now. Um, yeah. Right now, God, God knows what happens in the future. But let's talk about this theatrical release dates for a second. Is this a matter of Paramount not being confident in the next year, or are we going to see a lot more release dates get pushed back? Um, I got to be honest. The Mission Impossible ones surprised me. Um. <laughs> I do think that, like, most, if you look at, like, long-range box office analysis, most people believe 2023 is when we'll get back to, like, the closest to normal that we'll ever get. Like, it might not be, like, full normal again, but it'll be closer. Um, Because even if you look at, like, what happened with Scream this week, where if you're not Spider-Man No Way Home, the new normal is you get one weekend and then you fall off of a cliff. So like, you know, if you if you have a 150 million dollar movie that needs to make its money back, I would say even Mission Impossible 7, who knows? Top Gun Maverick, who knows? You know, like so so I think maybe they're sort of like the, I guess maybe they're playing long ball and that they're hoping in like 23 2023 2024 they can get the most juice out of what they know they have. Um, so you don't think you don't think this is like a march 2020 situation where we're going to start seeing other studios you know start pushing their dates um i think what's gonna i mean i think because you've already seen omicron is peaking in some areas already and it's gonna decline so i think what's gonna happen is this is gonna start to establish the like the flu season of covid right where like every like december to february we're gonna have like covid season and so i think what you're gonna start seeing is like less big movies less big events happening on those months and then you'll just kind of see like the entire entertainment industry restructure itself around like a like a March to November timeline, and um, and uh, so so I think you might see some release date shuffling, but I think the problem is there's too much overcrowding with the re- release dates right now. So a lot of people are going to have to sort of commit 
um, to what they have. And uh, I think Paramount's just moving off because those are their bread and butter franchises. Like where yeah, they'll pro- it, anything else they have on the calendar this year, I bet stays. But yeah, in the next month, I don't think we have anything like huge, huge. Like we have Jackass Forever and Moonfall, which um, I am. That is going to be the best uh, movie going weekend of my life, <laughs> and I am not even fucking kidding. But I'm guessing. I'm not I'm not trying to judge any group of people, but I'm guessing the audiences for those movies probably are not like. I'm going to stay home because I don't want to be in a movie theater this yeah. that weekend. <laughs> well, like, like for instance, I will fight my own mother to go see Jackass. Like, like I am so, <laughs> I am so deeply, it was one of my top three most anticipated movies of the year. And I'm not even sort of kidding. Um, so I am very excited. Yeah. And later in February we have uncharted, which I'm not sure how that's going to do. And early March, we got the Batman. I don't see those moving. Can I make a, can I, I make wanna... a bold prediction? Sure. Uh, Uncharted is going to be one of the biggest box office flops of the year. I I don't think that's a bold prediction, to be honest let, with let, you. But let's circle back to this because, like, no, because I don't know, but I think it's going to be one of the bit. Like, I think it's going to flop. Yeah. Bad, big, bad, bad. So. Uh, we'll we'll see, we'll see. Um, okay, well, more about Paramount. Uh, Paramount's not only losing their release dates uh, <laughs> here, but they are yeah. also losing Skydance Media, who is the company behind uh, what Mission yeah. Impossible and yeah. yeah um, Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, let's. So this was one. I think I sort of snuck this into our Slack channel this week. Where like, I think if I hadn't sort of pointed it out, I don't know if everyone would have thought it was as big of a deal. Maybe I'm taking more credit for that than I deserve, but like. But so Skydance, if, if people don't know, has been like this really prolific production company for the last like decade or so, you know, sort of, again, behind the Mission Impossible movies, behind the Terminator franchise, behind, um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, they have the new Top Gun they uh, and some of the Transformers films and, and Star Trek. And so, the, you know, they but they also have some originals and stuff, uh, but th- they started shifting towards streaming last year like they did the old guard for netflix uh without remorse and the tomorrow war got sold to amazon so i think during covid they sort of realized that like you know okay we had some movies flop theatrically like we had gemini man flop pretty bad we had you know terminator dark fight didn't do what we wanted so they have now made a deal with apple an exclusive first look deal with apple um uh and they are going to produce several it is not clear how many uh, wide appeal movies, live action movies every year for Apple. Now, the obvious implication is that these will go to Apple TV+. Plus. It does not explicitly say that they will not get theatrically released. But the big loser here, as we were talking about a minute ago, is Paramount. Because Paramount had the first look deal with Skydance for the last decade. Now, Im- uh, important to note that that Skydance and Paramount will still have the option to co-finance future entries in like the Mission Impossible or Star Trek franchises, but beyond that, Apple gets first bite now. So, kind of a big blow to theatrical and a and a kind of a huge win for Apple the way I see it. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, they already like I don't know. It felt like a weird deal, anyways, because it felt like they were uh, co-producing all the bad robot stuff for. For Paramount, and then when Bad Robot and JJ, you know, went over to Warner Brothers, uh, they were kind of I don't know. It, it felt like, what are they doing at Paramount now? Uh, so at yeah. Apple, it's going to be interesting because Apple is doing a lot of um, how do I put this? Like highbrow 
in terms oh, yeah. of their movies and programming. Yeah, well, they and have Sky like Skydance has always been like Skydance is by uh, David Ellison, David Ellison who is yeah, yeah. the brother of Megan Megan Ellison, who yep. runs Annapurna, and he's, yep. she's doing all this um, very highbrow stuff. But David has always been trying to do uh, sci-fi and blockbuster stuff. So it's, I think that's what Apple's been missing. Apple's and now I made that point. In my article Apple's totally missing that because they have you know Apple because Apple TV Plus is a loss leader for them. Apple doesn't care if Apple TV Plus makes money. They care that it get, brings people to the Apple brand so they can sell more shit. Um, you know, like, and, and uh, which is fine. But that actually isn't a terrible business model for the consumer because, yeah. you know, they can continue to make good stuff and they don't necessarily have to care that it in itself generates money. Like, Amazon's that same way. Um, but, like, so they have, like, you know, Tragedy of Macbeth. They're getting a Coen Brothers movie up there. You know, you're getting your Killers of the Flower Moon from Scorsese. What they're missing is, like, a Geostorm. <laughs> like, you know, your, your, or Life, or, or you know, or, or a World War Z. These are all Skydance movies. These are the types of yeah. things that a Skydance can bring to you. Well, also Skydance was trying to get into the animation business. They were la launching their own animation studio. I know... Uh, back when John Lasseter left Pixar and Disney, he, he was going to oversee that. I'm not sure. Is he still over He's there? Still, is that still so in the Hollywood Reporter article about the Skydance deal, it made a note that Apple has already, you know, partnered with Skydance on some animation projects, and John Lasseter's name was still in there. So, like, you know, that's that's something. You know, I, I mean, that's <laughs> I, like, I, I thought for sure that that might fall out after, you know, the reports were like, not very positive about that seems like so. they're being quiet about it at least and the thing is like yeah. for, as a moviegoer i mean i really like what skydance does like i really like where they operate like they take some interesting chances and you know and they do like i mean you know you even look at something like uh something like life which you know didn't do great but like a really fun original sci-fi movie i thought you know or like Gemini Man, which I really wish had been made for less money because, like, that was a great 90s action movie that just happened to exist in 2019. Um, yeah. But I, I, I like what Skydance does. My hope is that Apple... And I and I have a thing I'm going to be writing for us shortly, but I I hope Apple commits to theatrical a bit. Because, um, like, they're not... Because, again, it's a loss leader for them. They don't care about exclusivity. I think yeah. Apple cares more about getting good filmmakers on board, and you can do that if you promise a theatrical release. So... I, I think that that's their priority. So I think if the filmmakers want to do theatrical, like, you know, uh, Ryan Johnson wanted to do theatrical with Knives Out 2, and Netflix is actually kind of the opposite of Apple. <laughs> they want the exclusivity and stuff like that. But they're willing to do that to, you know, appease Ryan yeah. Johnson. I think... That's going to be like Apple. It's like, yeah, you want to do do a theatrical? We want to do theatrical. We want the Oscars too. Do you know what I mean? Okay, but I think I think Netflix giving Knives Out 2 a theatrical release, I, I'm going to be interested to see what that really means. Is it going to be like one weekend of a wide release and then whatever? Or like, you know, is it? are they really going to give it a shot? Because I don't think they will. I think Apple has – I think Apple, on the other mm -hmm. hand, might actually give movies a real shot in theaters at some point. See, I would disagree with you there because I don't think there's any way – knowing Ryan Johnson, <laughs> when I first moved to L.A., I had this, like, lunch with Ryan, and he was telling me, like, he moved to L.A., and where he moved to L.A. was in – I don't think he lives there anymore, but was in a close proximity to the New Beverly Theater, 
because he loved the that, that's how much he loved film and the New Beverly Theater. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's how he chose where he was going to live. And I he's such a seeing movies in the theater and film guy. I, I just I don't know. I feel like whatever deal he signed with Netflix, it had heavy uh, wording of like how many weeks they needed yeah. to get it, how many theaters. That 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 really did shock me when he. I mean. <laughs> When he moved to Netflix, but then the amount of money they paid for those two, I mean, my God, I don't know if people really understand, like, the amount of money that Netflix paid for those two Knives Out movies is genuinely staggering. They they overpaid. Like, there, there's almost no way that those movies were going to make that much money back. No, but Netflix I, Netflix did it to take a theatrically viable franchise off the table. Yeah. They, yeah. they overpaid for strategic dickhead reasons. Like, uh, you know, like in today's in today's edition of Netflix is an asshole. Like, you know, like it was, you know, that. But was... also Netflix has quality issues. They, they have quantity. They don't have the quality. This gives them some quality. So is that so why they did it? That's that. not why they did it. They did not do it for that. They did not. They did it to they did it. So yeah. so Lionsgate can bleed out. And then at some point someone can buy Lionsgate. Like, yeah. that's what they did. Well, on the positive end of things, Ryan Johnson's getting paid finally. So oh, I love I love that. Knives Out. I love almost <laughs> everything Ryan Johnson's done. I'm just mad as someone who loves yeah. it that I wished it had, you know, stayed theatrically viable. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay, we should move on. We have so we much stuff to talk on. about because yeah, yeah. we haven't had a news episode in a, 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 like a week. Um, there's a MonsterVerse TV series coming from Apple Plus, uh, TV Plus. Why don't you tell us about that? Sure as hell is. Uh, there is no news story from the last week that had me asking more questions than this. <laughs> um, so for those that are not familiar with the MonsterVerse branding, this is the franchise name given to uh, the 2014 Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and Godzilla vs. Kong, that universe. Um, Legendary uh, is behind this franchise, and they have partnered with Warner Brothers for the movies. Well, now we have word that... Uh, a MonsterVerse TV series that is untitled is in development with Legendary at Apple TV Plus, not HBO Max, which is owned by Warner Media. Very peculiar. Um, as far as details go, uh, you have um, Chris Black, who is involved in Star Trek Enterprise, uh, uh, involved as well as uh, uh, Matt Fraction, who wrote the Hawkeye comics that largely inspired the series on Disney Plus. Uh, working uh, on the show, um, there is a brief. Synopsis. By the way, he's he he's an amazing creator. If you have not read any of Matt Fraction's work, not even just his Marvel work, but even like his work in comics in general, this this excites me more than it being on Apple TV Plus. Fraction is so good. Like like he yeah. he genuinely like if you find his byline somewhere, go check it out. Um, there is a very brief synopsis for this, which says, Following the thunder thunderous battle between Godzilla and the Titans that leveled San Francisco uh, and the shocking new reality that monsters are real, the series explores one family's journey to uncover its buried secrets and a legacy linking them to the secret organization known as Monarch. Uh, so that's what we're looking at, kids. And uh, questions, please. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, this is very interesting. I'm excited to see what this is. There is another MonsterVerse TV show set up at Netflix, I think. It's an animated thing. Oh, well, Netflix did a that? couple of the God's, like, an Godzilla animes and stuff, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's officially. Oh, it, 
Oh, is the thing I'm th- thinking of not um not I don't think tied it's, to the actual I don't think it's tied to the actual monster verse, but for this Peter, help me out because I have not been able to bounce this out. Why on earth did this go to Apple and not HBO Max? I have my own crackpot theories. Do you have any thoughts about this? I don't have any No, I I I don't. Let's hear your thoughts. Well, I mean, so my first thought is this show is going to be tremendously expensive. I mean, I don't know how you make a Godzilla TV show without it being like tremendously expensive. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know if it was just too rich for Warner Brothers. I doubt that um, because they are perfectly happy to spend money on stuff that doesn't make money but uh but um my other thought is that that legendary was pretty upset with the godzilla versus kong streaming release uh i know that warner brothers sort of amended that like they paid some money to legendary but i still feel like they were upset about it so i'm wondering if this was their middle finger to them to say okay we'll take our business elsewhere uh that's my only thought though other than that i find it weird I think that's right. Um, I do. I do have the answer here, um, Ryan. <laughs> okay, let's it's a hear skull. It. It's a Skull Island uh, that's anime right. series. I, that's right. So I'm not sure if that's canon with the the monster verse, but that definitely pulls in from Skull Island and tells you know some stuff from King Kong and stuff like that. So I don't know. Yeah, the, like the, do they include that part of the monster verse? I don't know. I mean, Legendary would obviously have to be behind it, but I think there's a gigantic difference, a gigantic difference between we're making an animated show versus we're going to, I mean, you want to play guess the budget on a MonsterVerse TV show? You know, (laughs) like, I mean, you know, I I really don't, I mean, I don't know how you get that made for like less than a hundred and hundred million dollars conservatively. Yeah. Well, Apple certainly has that money, so Um, go to them. But so that's what I'm saying. So that's a big difference between. But again, I don't know why Warner Brothers. I don't know. It's just still that boy. I'd like to hear. I can't wait till someone spills some tea about that because man, that's. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I'm I'm definitely excited about this. Uh, as I am excited in March, the Batman is coming out, and we now know how long it's going to be. It's going to be nearly three hours long. Yeah. It's 175 minutes. Uh, if you don't count the serials, which were released, you know, episodically, I don't really consider those movies. Or you don't count, count the director's cut, like, you know, that were released on DVD or um, Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> Out of the 19 Batman movies, this is going to be the longest one released so far. Uh it's interesting. We we did this right up on the site um, uh, from Whitney, and it's mentioned here that there's this like study. I'm sure you have something to say about this. Uh, there was a study in 2018 from this website uh, towards data science, which conducted and sought out the average lengths of all feature films going back to 1911, and they used IMDb as their data set. TDS found that over the course of history, the highest number of movies only ran between 90 and 100 minutes or as any person over 35 might say, a good length. Uh, the, <laughs> the data show, yeah, the data shows that films, while getting ever so slightly longer in general, are still averaging out a classic, in the classic 80 minutes to 130 minute range. 
But what we are seeing, however, is the length of the blockbuster genre entertainment. Like uh, in 1966, 104 minutes was epic. Uh, in you know. 2022 175 <laughs> minutes isn't even the longest superhero movie the last few years so yeah. it, like it, it definitely thinks like it seems like things are getting longer do you have any idea like any thoughts on why uh yeah i got a few i mean i think part of it is that like you're especially with this batman movie because it's not attached to the pre-existing universe it's setting up an entire universe they already have two spin-off shows in the works at hbo max matt reeves has already talked about how he wants to do a trilogy clearly setting up a whole other damn universe that Warner Brothers can use and that's got to accomplish a lot you know like uh um I don't know I I have thoughts like like my thing is like uh what's that uh quote you know a good a, a bad movie's never short enough and a good movie's never long enough or something like that like uh <laughs> um you know like heat is my favorite three-hour movie it doesn't feel like three hours long like heat sails by but you know, I think it's an exception, not the rule. I think a lot of times, like, movies... For me, if you get a little over two hours, every minute better be, like, heavily justified. Matt Reeves is one of my favorite directors working today. I have every bit of faith that this movie's going to be great. I don't... I don't know, like, three hours for a... <laughs> it's just a lot. It's a lot. I don't know. It, it. But, I mean, like, what? Avatar was long, right? Was it two and a half hours or something? It's definitely over the two-hour time limit. Yeah, but we're talking about movies that were good. So, like, I don't, you know. <laughs> Ouch. Look, um, Avatar visually impressive, but my God. Like, does anyone really care now? Uh, like, uh, I, I liked it. I like it. Um, but, but no, so I don't know. But, I think – oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it, 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 it's weird because it felt like in the 80s and 90s, the thought was from studios, let's – Let's make these big blockbuster things as short as possible so we can crank out as many um, showings in the day because if we have more showings in the day on opening weekend, we're going to make more money. Um, and it just seems to me in the last like 10, 15 years, maybe even longer than that, maybe 20 years, um, it seems to be the obvious. If you look at like some of the biggest films released in that time, they've all been like over two hours. Well over, um, but I think the thing is, though, that, like, the movies that have done really well, Avatar, um, uh, Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, now Spider-Man No Way Home, two and a half to three hours does not kneecap you at the box office if you can take over every single available screen, which happens because theaters want the money, and the demand yeah. is there. The demand will be there for the Batman. So, like, you know, I don't... I think as long as the movie's good, people will sit through three hours. It's just, it's just the idea that like I just in some I don't think like I don't think that like that should be the goalpost for. Because oh, yeah, I also yeah. think because I also think you're competing with binge watching on like streaming now. So in some ways, audiences are trained to sit down for longer for things. So I feel like a three-hour movie maybe isn't as much of a challenge in that way, but. I, don't well, know, like... I, I do think it's it, there's something there to that because like in s screenwriting if you or any kind of storytelling if you only have an hour and a half you only have a certain time to set up you know the characters the inciting incident uh the obstacles then you uh, the leading to the conflict of the the third the great third act uh tentpole action scene like you, there's not much 
room there to really explore the themes and ideas and characters uh, that you have in these TV shows now. And I really think that you need to go beyond those two hours to to do that in any substantial way at this point. Cool. Then make a Batman but, TV show. I don't know. You know they, what I mean? Like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm sure they will. I'm sure, sure they, I'm will. Sure they will. <laughs> I mean, I'm they just, are. <laughs> I am. I. It is me, Ryan Scott, the embittered moviegoer <laughs> who is tired of everything being streaming and tired. Like, I just want movies to be allowed to be movies and not have to. I'm a little concerned yeah. that this three hour runtime is very clearly going to be pulling a lot of taffy to set up other stuff. Like, I, by the and, way. We also ran a report that the the first test screening of this film was test screened by Warner Brothers at four hours. So you hear all the time, like, uh, you know, the first cut of this film was five hours or four hours. That's usually the assembly cut. That's not like a cut that anybody would actually see. This is the first cut that, like, you know, doesn't have multiple takes of stuff, multiple jokes, you know, whatever. This is like the first actual cut of the film was four hours and he got it down to under three hours. So I don't know. I just wonder, like, why are these studios allowing people to make a four hour movie? Well, because, but, but I think in this case, like, yeah. Warner Brothers was absolutely shackled to the idea of needing to get a Batman movie made because you got to understand yeah. by the time this hits theaters, it will have been just shy of a full decade since a solo Batman movie has hit theaters. You know, it's their biggest property. Like, you are absolutely needing this to happen. And they absolutely definitely thought Matt Reeves was the guy. So you do what he's what he wants, you yeah. know. And like again, the idea is if in that three hour runtime you can get two sequels set up with two or three HBO Max shows, you know, that's the that's the way that you justify that three hour movie. And there's no way the movie's not going to make money. So like, you know, it just it it I just wish that that what didn't have to be the case. Like yeah. the Dark Knight I will say is. You I was know. gonna say there's only a handful of directors that I feel like I would uh, be happy with a three hour long Batman movie, and I think Matt Reeves is one of them. So, and Matt Reeves, follow, we trust. I will follow Matt Reeves anywhere he goes, and like, and I've made no bones about it. I don't care about Batman, but I do like the world that he inhabits. I wish Matt Reeves was doing anything but a Batman movie, but I'm very excited to see what he does with a Batman movie. Okay, we're already over a 30-minute time cool. limit, yeah, yeah, yeah. but can we still talk about this, Ryan? We can you talk st- about anything you, you want to time? talk, Peter. Whatever you want okay, to talk uh, Okay, this is a big story that hit last week. This is something I've known about for a month, but I couldn't talk about. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead has entered the Star Wars universe. Do you want to talk, uh, tell us about that, Ryan? Yeah, so uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, a star of such films as 10 Cloverfield Lane and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, uh, going to be joining the Ahsoka series here on Disney+, Plus, a Star Wars show that will star Rosario Dawson reprising her role as Ahsoka Tano from The Mandalorian. Uh, as is always the case, no word on who she's playing, plot details being kept secret, but uh, weirdly enough, this makes for a death-proof reunion, uh, and uh, which I did not realize at the time that I wrote this story and I felt silly about it, but that's what's happening. Huh. Um, I didn't even think about that. Uh, uh, our own Jeff... Ewing uh, pointed that out to me on Twitter later, and I was like, damn it. Uh, but yeah, uh, very cool casting. I love her. Uh, no idea. My th- my feeling is I could see her in like a Chiss Ascendancy uniform, uh, but, uh, you know, no idea. Uh, wild speculation at this point. I will say that, you know, uh, after Star Wars Rebels aired, 
there was a lot of when I was looking up information about Mary Elizabeth Winstead in Star Wars. She never really like mentioned Star Wars in an interview or anything like that. But there's a lot of uh, when I googled it, there was a lot of fan castings. People wanted her to play Sabine Wren in yep. a in a movie or TV show. That's not happening because there's already someone cast uh, probably as Sabine, and obviously, um, uh, you know, uh, Mary is white, and you want someone of color. You know, in that role, um, I also just don't think but, she's a good fit for that part. Like that's my part. Like I, I think that she's better suited. Well, you know what stuff. it is. It's like people see thing, see what they've seen, and they put the person in a box. So she, sure, she had colored hair in Scott Pilgrim, and they're like, oh, she would work for Sabine because she has colored hair. Yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. what goes on. But what about Hera? I think she might be a good fit for her. I don't know anything, but like I was looking at pictures of her and I was looking at pictures of Hera and I could see her being w- with the, um, what do you call those? Uh, uh, the tendrils? Head, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, but my thing with Hera, so, so Star Wars Rebels is very beloved to me. And uh, yeah. look, not look, we're talking about a weird space show here, so it's not like it needs to line up. But I feel like age-wise, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is already too young to play Hera as we saw her, and I feel like, and I feel like Hera would be older now. But she's also Wait, a green alien, ha- so how- does that even matter? But like, <laughs> but like, I, you know, like I, I felt, I, I don't know, I, I, I feel like I feel that was my thought, and I mentioned that in my article, but I also was like at the same time, I'm like, am I being ridiculous? But. The, the other thing I want to mention, which I don't think is going to happen, but if you look at some pictures of Mary Elizabeth Winstead in, like, some white clothing, she does have that Carrie Fisher uh, Princess Leia look going on. Oh. <laughs> you just made a face on a – I don't – we, we can see each other's faces here, and you just I made a face of, like, no. I don't want to think about that. Because <laughs> also, like, what business would Leia have in that show? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm all aboard the, suspe- the Sebastian Stan is Luke train just because he looks the part and there's a reason to... <laughs> but, like, at this point now you have a reason to have a younger Luke Skywalker actor. Like, until we have a good reason to have a younger Leia actor, I don't know. And also the difference yeah. is, like, Carrie Fisher's no longer with us. Mark Hamill is, and he could be there to sort of, like, pass the torch. So, I don't know. I feel like there's there's a bit of a different, like... That sits differently with me, I guess. How old was um, Carrie Fisher when she filmed A New Hope or, like, Return of the Jedi? Oh, you were really going to start doing this math to make this work? <laughs> uh, she was 19 in 1976. <laughs> so I guess she was um, 25-ish when 25, Return of the 20s. Jedi. So that, and then six years after that, so early 30s, early to mid-30s. And Mary Liz Winstead is uh, the thirty mid-30s. God damn so. it. So... <laughs> <laughs> it, it could work. It could okay. I'm, I I honestly don't believe that's be the case. No, it's I just, don't either. Um, but but you're making this work, and I don't like it. Um, okay. Uh, we 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 need to end this here because I know you got to go back and work. But I did want before we we go uh, to ask you about this. You you got to interview the Fraggles. I Peter, I sure as hell did. Uh, I, I um. <laughs> So, like, I know a couple weeks ago we talked about what I thought at the time was the coolest thing I've ever done for us with the Darth Plagueis uh, article, but, like, I talked to actual 
Fraggles. And so you can go you can go on Slash Film right now, and the article is called An Intimate Conversation with the Fraggles from Fraggle Rock Back to the Rock, which is now on Apple TV+. And might I add, a very delightful uh, sort of revival of the show. But uh, they offered us some interviews, and um, two of those interviews were with, like, actual, like, Muppet performers performing the Fraggles on camera, like, fully committed to the bit, not understanding that they're in a TV show. So, like, I interviewed, like, real deal Fraggles, and it was... Were, were, you, were you given rules before you interviewed them? Not, like, was rules so like much a... as they, like, sent us a sheet of being, like, hey, like, more to warn us. Like, this is how seriously they're taking this. So if you ask them about being in a TV show, they're not going to understand what you're asking them. You know, like, that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then, like, and then the only thing is it was just, like, because there was, like, puppet performers, like, you know, they're like, hey, address them by name so they know who you're talking to. That was really the only rule we had. You know, like, uh, like it was. Oh yeah, because you were on a video call with all of them at the same time. Well, there was so so one was with I think it was Gobo, Boober, and Red, and then the other one was with Moki and Wembley. So I had a couple, at least a couple in each, and uh, so yeah, yeah you yeah. kind of had to like d- determine who you were who you were talking to. I broke that rule a few times anyway, but uh, just if you're in the mood for something just incredibly delightful, uh, that I would say that 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 you know, that's the way to go. Check that out today. Okay, you can find that link. You can find links to all the stories we've talked about in today's podcast in the show notes. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and uh, not uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, speculation to Peter at com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.